All right, Megan, episode five, last week, last episode we had, you had no problems shooting me a text saying we missed a fact check with episode four on December 4th. <laughs> so I, I promise with this next guest that, you know, my number two pencil is going to be sharp. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to use big words. Um, you know, am, am I a little nervous having this type of guest on? Um you know, I've said it and I said it before, you you swim in a different pool, man, where you, you you never know what someone does, you know, and this guy, you know, David Cohen, not only is he, you know, CEO of PowerLogix, but he's got his hands in other other companies. You know, when, when you say serial entrepreneur, um, you know, David Cohen is absolutely on the top three of that list, would you say? Yep, definitely agree. Well, you know what? I say we welcome him into the show, um, and we'll go from there. Sounds good. All right. All right well, I'm, I'm Matt Gregory from Sable Adjusters. And I'm Megan Calabrese with Fox Rock Properties. And on today's episode five, we have the one and only David Cohen of PowerLogix. So, so talk to us about PowerLogix. How did you, was that the, the birth child of your, your companies that you're involved with? Um, how did you get involved with that and how did you start it? Um, actually, I've always had a philosophy in business that I've always wanted to be involved in businesses with uh, products that you can't live without, whether the economy is good or the, the economy is bad. Started in the uh, property casualty insurance uh, field. I have an agency um, in Jamaica Plain. We do mostly all property and casualty, like uh, homeowners, cars, and, and houses, and um, uh, insurance you can't do without. Everyone's got to have it in good times and bad. Um, and I, I also, um, not to get too far afield from PowerLogix, um, I own a, a, well, a water well service drilling business where we uh, drill and install water wells, um, service pumping systems for the you know, tens of thousands of customers around here that don't have city water. They have um, domestic water through a well. Uh, We do filtration um, and we do um, uh, like uh, UV stuff. We do geothermal stuff, Uh, all all things, you know, um, not really energy related, but another area of business that people can't do without. They have to have water in good times and bad. And actually having a conversation with an accountant maybe about 11 or 12 years ago, um, he, he recommended that we looked in, that I look into um, getting into, we were actually looking to make a change and start selling uh, health insurance and brokering health insurance through like Harvard Pilgrim and Blue Cross of Massachusetts. And he said, well, before you, you change going to that field, he goes, I, I do a lot of work for, a bunch of contractors that uh, sell retail energy and, and they were actually selling uh, commodity energy, the supply part to houses. And I did a, maybe about a month or two of research on the market and took his advice, but I, I went into the commercial field instead because I think it's a, it's a much uh, better field and, and uh, you know, 95% of all commercial property owners buy their energy through, Brokers, so the, the supply part of their energy through brokers. So we, we got into that and 
And that led us um, to solar, uh, solar development when the Massachusetts market got really, really good in maybe 2010 or 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has, you know, expanded. We've done solar development projects um, in different states, uh, in Puerto Rico, in the country of Panama. And then we've uh, morphed into doing um, efficiency projects where we have our own in, uh, engineers that will go in and audit buildings. And, and then we, you know, we'll bring in subcontractors and do, um, you know, lighting retrofits, controls, um, VFD controllers on electric motors, uh, you know, anything that can save energy that the utilities will actually incentivize. We manage the process from start to finish and, and fight for really high incentives. Um, and uh, we can get into that as well. So all of my business interests are uh, pretty much related to things that we can't do without. So, so let me just piggyback off that. And, and by the way, Matt's mind blown. Uh, my, my, yeah. I got clean up in aisle two with all my brain guts on the floor because I gotta be brutally honest with you, David, I never would have thought about that when, you know, there are people that can be entrepreneurs because they have the, the coconuts to do it and or, or the money and the people around them. But I, I never would have thought and looked at, at that lens of getting into stuff that people can't live without. And that just absolutely blew my mind away. Because you look at, you know, because what I always do is like, I look at the K cup, right? And my father always taught me, he's like, you know, if you're going to invent something, it's got to be at the temple of the society we live in, something that's going to keep people on the go, like the K-cup. You just throw it in, you grab your cup of coffee, and you go. That's why it was successful. And a lot of people that when they try bringing something to market, it it doesn't keep them at the temple that they live in. And I'm just blown away by that. And did someone teach you – did you – you know, did you surround yourself with people that were educating you along your way about that? Or was that something that you just that you just had in you that you were like, if I'm going to do this, it's going to be that philosophy? No, it was pretty much it's my own. It's internal. And I've, you know, I've been involved, uh, as Megan will tell you, I'm fairly entrepreneurial. I have other business interests as well. And um, I, I really am always thinking, you know, an economic cycle ahead. And, you know, what's going to happen next? And um, I I realize, you know, I I look at the restaurant business and I understand that, you know, everyone wants to own a restaurant because they think it's so glamorous. However, the margins are so low and dealing with help is so difficult that, um, you know, everyone's got to eat. But going to a restaurant is very discretionary, like going to a supermarket is one thing, um, but going to a restaurant is another thing. So, I've you know, I've had that type of thing pitched to me where, you know, come get involved in a restaurant or come get involved in um, like a microbrewery or anything like that. Um, I try to stay away from the, the uh, businesses that are more faddish. Trendy. Than yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that owning a restaurant and a bar is probably fun for the first weekend. It's kind of like a boat. And then all of a sudden, you know, once the payments do, or once the first fight breaks out or, you know, no one's coming back because something happened with the food. I think that's when the fun's over. Yeah. And, you know, I think- yeah, sorry. The, I think also the misconception is that the food industries, it, as you said, David, those margins are awful. Like we have a couple, granted small scale, but they're cafes and, and like they look at me, they're like, I can't make a sandwich for five bucks, but yet people want to pay four for it. You know what I mean? Like, so the margins are so slim and you need to convince people to come back and eat at your restaurant every single day in theory. You know what I mean? But you need to keep 
getting repeat customers back in that door. And it's right. tough. Like, um, it's yeah, I, like you said, it seems glamorous at the time. Like, oh, my buddy owns a bar. Let's go there and drink for free. No, yeah. no, he wants to make money. <laughs> Don't forget that people's taste change. Like, you know, just look at the, the alcohol yeah. industry. You've got people that want bourbon one day and the next day yep. they want micro brews and the next day they're going to wine bars and the next yeah. day smoking cigars. And I, I want to stay away from all of that. How do you stay relevant, right? You need to like chase the trend or try to stay in front of it, but you never know. I mean, some of the, the seltzer stuffs, you know, went crazy. I, it, it's still yeah. going. It's it crazy. is still going. You're right. Yeah. What, so do you, what do you got in the pipeline, David, for other stuff that you, you're you looking to maybe dip your toes in um, in the future? I mean, I know cannabis right now, um, especially with all the, you know, the legislature approving recreational use and all that stuff. Do you think that's going to be saturated or do you think that's still a market to to get into? I I have a couple of thoughts on the cannabis industry from from a lot of personal experience. Um, I think that once the U.S. government decriminalizes it and allows cannabis to be transported across state lines, um, the market, the wholesale market is going to, you know, will tank because of the low cost of producing things in areas of a lot of sunlight, like the desert right. southwest or California, Palm Springs. And... Um, I've also noticed that in at least in Massachusetts in particular, um, we'll con- contrast it with uh, Nevada. We actually legalized cannabis before Nevada did. And if you go out, I was just out in Nevada three weeks ago and they're so much further advanced than we are because of, you know, the way that their pro business state yeah. regulation goes. And you have a dispensary on, you know, on every corner out there. And we had one in Massachusetts, the first one, one of the first ones to open up, Nita in Brookline. They were on track to do like $60 million in sales the first year. But as every store opens up around there, it, it really cuts into the sales. Sure. So I think eventually they're going to be like liquor stores and they're going to have to operate on volume and low margins. And then there'll be a shakeout. The big, you know, tobacco companies will come in or the pharma companies will come in and buy them all out. Yeah. But um, I think it, it'll become ubiquitous and, and uh, I don't, you know, I don't see long-term, you know, needers in Brookline happening, you know, right. but it's and like you said, cultivation, cultivation will go where it's cheapest, right? Just, just like, I mean, your, your experience in energy, it's not cheap to run <laughs> a grow facility in Massachusetts with our energy, right? So <laughs> they're going to go, it's just a line. Where's the best place to, to, to grow well, the you know, marijuana? Northeast has the highest energy cost in the country for yeah. the most part. And um, when you start to use like hybrid um, cultivation facilities that harness the sun and you have, you know, 330 days of sun in New Mexico, mm. you be able to produce the product uh, with cheaper land and a lot of sunshine. Um, and then they're talking about, um, you know, like I said, Southern California, I, th- I believe all of the area in Palm Springs where all the wind farms are, a lot yeah. of the uh, cannabis companies are buying up land there because of all the sunshine. So that, that'll change that market. Sure. sure. Um, go ahead, Matt. No, you can go, Megan. Okay. I was just going to switch, just talking, we kind of jumped away from energy, but getting back a little bit. So <clears throat> the energy industry um, that you are in, and I will say, I know Matt did the intro, but you and I worked together for a while. And, um, you know, jokingly, you said you're you're boring, but every time I you and I sit, I learn something. Um, you're very educated on many many facets, so I always appreciate listening to you and talking to you. Um, the energy 
consulting space, as we've talked about, is pretty saturated. And I would say a bit aggressive. Um, you know, I could swing a cat and hit seven energy consultants and you know, the emails that the emails that fly in, you know, they're persistent, they're, you know, they're pushy. Um, it's probably the most aggressive sale like uh service industry right now, in my opinion. Um, and I get it, everybody's trying to hustle. What do you what's your thought on that? Why do you think that that reputation stands for that for your industry? Well, I think what happened was, is years ago when we had the um, the real estate collapse, um, a lot of people that were selling mortgages in in, the, in that field kind of got into into this, and they actually have different marketing philosophies. Uh, you, as you know, you you get a lot of cold calls. Um, every single property manager is a potential customer to these people, and. Um, you know, the, the bigger companies will set up call centers and they have lists that the state provides them that are, you know, um, what your company name is, how much energy, how much electricity you use every year. Um, they do the same for natural gas and you're, you're just a, a target for a cold call. Yeah. As far as, um, their business philosophy goes, yeah, they're aggressive. Um, I take a different approach. I, I, we have a, I don't want 7,000 customers. Uh, I, I want a relationship with each one of them. All of our customers can get service right from me. I'm one of the principals of the business. <clears throat> we just, you know, uh, want to give a high level of service and you won't get that with, with other companies. They just want to sign a contract. And then when it's time to renew, they want to renew the contract. Um, we, we just take a, a much different approach to it. And, and you can tell you've experienced our service. It's just, no, little, yeah, you not, do. Um, I'd say you're also very educational. I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think from an ownership standpoint that, or even just a, you know, an everyday person, the energy area is a little intimidating, right? Cause you can get data and charts and things thrown at you. And, you know, I've, I've had the hard pitch, not from you guys um, of, well, you better lock in or the market's going to, you know, it's going to go up, you know, and your, and your rate's going to go from 17 cents to 27 cents. You got to sign here now. Um, I think fear drives some people sometimes um, in that sense, because when we're budgeting out a building, right, if we're, we're I mean, we build back our energy, but if we can lock it in and we can say to our tenants, you know, we've, we've done our um, homework and we've locked in this rate, we know we can carry that rate for two, three years, right? So we can, I mean, obviously there's the supply and demand side, but at least one side we can now control and it's a fixed number, which I know from an ownership standpoint um, is super valuable, Um for us, but it's it it's it's unfortunate that 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 area gets so. It, I wouldn't say it's bad press, but I just I just feel like a lot of people are aggressive and not as educated as you. Um, Thank you. Uh, you know, from, but but in terms of like you know the data and like you and I have had conversations. How far down with your customers? Like you you, as you said, you don't take the sales approach. Is that where you guys you just make the relationship and then try to continue to educate people on what they should do? Yeah, I mean, our, that that is exactly our approach is I just want I want the customer to make the decision and I don't want to force anything on them. I can just give them the information, you know, as far as having a crystal ball and knowing what the markets are going to do. I mean, there's no way to do that. But I do understand in your position as a as an owner with tenants, the last thing you want to do is get a polar vortex in in February and then have the bills come in in March where you didn't expect, you know, a tripling of the supply cost right. and have to be a tenant and say, hey, you know, we're on a variable product. 
Um, you know, sometimes it's good, but this month it's bad. And, you know, it, it also, you don't want to answer to, to your bosses or your owners sure. on why you do a budget. So everybody has a, a different level of risk adversity. And we're all about just minimizing the risk, um, getting contracts that don't have any unforeseen pass-throughs. A lot of our, our competitors will sell, you know, sell a rate only, but they don't tell the customer that, you know, if this type of change happens and that's going to get passed through or if your, de- your demand is passed through or your capacity is passed through or your, you know, uh, winter reliability charges are passed through. Sure. So we, we try to eliminate all of that risk to make you look good because that's all we, all we want in your world is predictability. And um, we don't want to blow budgets. So we, we take yeah. a very conservative approach to that. David, let me ask you a question. So let, let's just change the focus a little bit on COVID. You think sure. restaurants can can rebound from this, or is it going to change the game and dining out and all that stuff? I I think that a percentage of them will will survive it. Um, I think you have a lot of restaurants that are owned by public companies that that will be okay. There'll there'll be companies that are you know, taking advantage of the, of the CARES Act and the PPP and, and are managing and, and they'll be okay. But then you have people that have, you know, put their life savings into a restaurant that say in the seaport and they, they've done an expensive build out and, and uh, their rent is expensive. I, I, I'd say that a lot of them won't make it. Mm-hmm. Um, on the energy side of things, we, I'm starting to see right now, um, on RFP, suppliers are coming back and asking questions as to why, you know, the energy in building A or building B is is off 30% over last year's historical usage. I mean, they know the answer, but they still need us to to uh, to give them an, uh, an answer. And a lot of it, you know, the restaurants don't have people in them. The, the, the buildings don't have computers and copy machines and everything on. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a a decline in, of 30%. And I know, as we mentioned, as we spoke before, the margins in restaurants don't allow for a 30% fluctuation in business. So hopefully uh, we get this behind us quickly. How long How long do you think it's going to – I mean, people – I just feel like people aren't looking at the long-term effects of what, of what this um, pandemic has had. I think people are uh, being the bug. You know, they're they're saying, oh, my God, we're going to lose the masks in May because the vaccine's here and then we're going to go on. I I think that we're not really going to come out of this for like three to five years. Like, I think there's going to be, you know, some some blood on the streets because of all of this. I mean, or am I or am I ignorant saying that, David? You know, no, I'm it, just- no it, it has to. I mean, it's it's going to catch up. There's going to be a lagging effect and it'll shake out. I, I know it'll shake out. I mean, the underlying uh economy is is very good there's a lot of demand people want to get back to normal but ultimately it's the the tenants can they can they pay the rent and and how flexible are the landlords going to be i mean ultimately it might be a good idea for everybody just to press pause and you know uh you know if the if the tenant can't make their rent payment uh just tack it on to the end it just depends mm-hmm. on the strategy but there's going to be a shakeout for sure uh, i'm starting to see it now no, I agree. So, um, you know, go, taking a, a, a left turn in the podcast. So Megan shared with me that you and I have a mutual connection. Obviously, you're the father-in-law of uh, Ryan Whitney, um, my best oh, friend. Don't hold it against me, please. Well, no, no, <laughs> this deal. Don't hold it against me that his co-host, uh, Rear Admiral, um, a.k.a. Brian McGonagall, he was my roommate from college, best man in my wedding, mm-hmm. and he 
he's the godfather of, of my son. So we, we do have a one degree separation before we even came on the airways. Um, you know, I, now you were you born and raised in in Massachusetts, David? Yes. So obviously Bruins, Celtics, Pats, Red Sox, not in that particular order. You know, and obviously Witt was, you know, he, he grew up on the South Shore, but, you know, drafted in the uh, with the Penguins in 02 um, as a first round pick. Did, did you let him know, like, look, dude, I know, you, you know, I know you married my daughter and, you know, you're playing for a couple of teams, but I'm a Bruins fan. I mean, how, how was that at the, around the holidays? No, he's uh, he's actually a Bruins fan. Um, okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you just went with the paycheck. I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've known a lot of professional athletes across, you know, different sports, but hockey, hockey people are the most real. And he's, he's about as real as they get. He's a lot of fun to be around, you know, always in a good mood. And he's probably, I've never seen anybody with a more intense knowledge and recall of sporting events. It actually, it's not just him, it's his family, his brothers, his father. They can, you know, remember who was pitching on a a certain day at a, in a certain game. And, just have an amazing sports recall and, you know, just a lot of fun. Everything is funny when, when we're around him. He's awesome. Now, now do you carry his bag or do you play golf with him? Cause I know he's a hell of a golfer. I think he's what, like a, a four or five ha- handicap. I mean, well, I, he's about a plus two right now. He's, he, Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. You for three, but anyways, go on. <laughs> Same amount of energy into, um, into golf that he did into hockey. And, you know, he, he's so determined he'll be good at whatever he does, you know, and uh, I have played with him and he, he is really, really, really good at golf. Yeah. I just happened to bump into him. I, you know, I, I left him alone. He was with his buddies. I belong to Indian Pond country club. That was just a free advertisement for those guys. Um, and I was up on the, the driving range and I saw him take a couple of swings and I was just like, I'm just going to go in my cart and get to the, and get to the first tee box because I, I, I just I'd be playing hurry up golf and catch up with him because the way he was stroking the ball just on the box I was like holy shit and and you know my buddy Magoo told me about him and a couple of guys that I run in the circle with they're like he hits the ball a country mile. Uh, you know it's it's not as long as it is accurate. He's just really really good. He's really good with his short game. His putting's really good, and uh, you know he can, you can even chirp him on the green and he he just tunes you right out like you're not even there. <laughs> kind of like Megan you can chirp Megan but, you know, she, you know, she's when she gets on the green and it's good to have fun Yeah, and you've got some grandkids now right David? five right now right? as a matter of fact uh, Ryan and Bree just gave us our fifth so yeah Wyatt Wyatt Whitney that's awesome yeah thank you that's a, a pretty cool name like Wyatt Earp yep I know we got Ryder Ryder Whitney and Wyatt Whitney my two grandsons from, from Ryan and Bree now, all your kids local or anyone out of state, you know, especially with the holidays, um, is everyone dispersed or are you guys going to get everyone together? No, we're, we're all we're all here in Massachusetts. Um, I'm trying to get at least one of them to move south. So to start the process of all of us moving south, <laughs> it hasn't worked. If you, yeah. had, if you had to move south, where would it be? Florida, for sure. West coast or east coast? Uh, east coast. Fort Lauderdale area. I like it yeah. the most over there. I'm a West Coast guy. I like the Sarasota, Marco Island, Naples. Nothing wrong with that either. Nothing wrong. It's beautiful. A little quiet for me. I like I like the uh, the hustle and bustle of like the city. And Fort Lauderdale has a lot of that. And it also can be quiet when it needs to be too. 
So, you know, you mentioned that you were out in Nevada. I think it was like last week. I know we were going to have you on the podcast and then we just extended it to this week. Did you, was that, all, was that purely for business or did you get over to the strip, um, you know, just to sightsee or, you know, obviously or, or gamble a little bit or were you so far removed from that? Because I was just curious on what that economy looks like, especially on the strip, if, if people are going in there and, and playing or if that is just tumbleweed going right through. Oh, we, it was, it was, we go every year, um, for a well, uh, well company related, um, they have a convention out there, but yep. we had a book this year and said, we're going to go anyways, even though they did the convention, uh, virtually, which doesn't make any sense to me, but we stayed right on the strip. Um, it was really weird. I've been going there for years and it was eerily quiet. There were people out, um, we stayed, um, at one hotel and did not have a good experience and ended up leaving there and went to another one. Um, the hotel was, you know, you, it was super locked down as far as, you know, if your mask came down one centimeter below the bridge, your nose, you'd have a security guard telling you to lift it up and it's it super uncomfortable. So we went, uh, went down the strip to a, another place, but you know, restaurants were limited to 25% capacity, six wow. feet, tables you couldn't have any more than four people at a table and um you could see the pain on the people's face it was awful when you cut through the casinos did they have like the plexiglass up at the at the blackjack tables the craps tables how was that set up like it's incredibly uncomfortable they have a plexiglass shoot so you have plexiglass to the left of you plexiglass to the right of you and then you have like a, a bank teller cutout where you can, you know, make your hand signals or do whatever. Oh, you have to wear a mask, the deal oh. with masks, so you can't hear, you can't lip read, you can't breathe. It was just awful. Yeah, so it's basically like playing blackjack in an old school phone booth or being in prison trying to tell the guy to pick the phone up so you can exactly. have a conversation with and awful. Awful. Yeah. You could see, you could see, like the people just wanted to. They wanted to get back to normal, and uh, you felt bad. We went out there, and I was happy to patronize the, the restaurants and happy to give them some business. But you know, they're they're tough. They'll get through it. I hope. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, well, what, what, David? What what positives, if any? You know, they say never waste a tragedy. Um, what do you see coming out of this? That'll be you know some positives. Um, well, I mean, people probably have a, a, a different respect and appreciation for family now. Um, you know, being stuck at home and, and uh, in your family's presence a lot more than you would be if you're, um, you know, in the hustle bustle of everyday life. Sure. And, it can be good and bad. <laughs> yeah, it can be good and bad. Um, yeah, come, David, come to my house for a cocktail. You'll run out the door. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we will allow you to hang out this long, but that's just the Gregory's because we're just. Yeah, we, we, uh, I guess that's about the only thing I don't, you know, I, a lot of the negatives that come out of it are are people very fearful now. And I I have to tell you guys, I, I experienced it. I was tested positive for it. And the reason I tested positive for COVID-19 is because I traveled and this was coming back from Nevada. And if it wasn't for testing, I would have never known I had it. Right. And, you know, the, the symptoms that I had were was way more mild than a common cold. I had like a very low grade headache for a day and some chills at one point in time, but I can't see doing what they did to the economy over sure. over this. 
but that's just, you know, I know there are people that have gone the other way and that have, you know, contracted it and, and passed away. So I think sure. it's a lot of unknown. And, and now that we know how to handle it, and we've got a vaccine, we'll just, you know, maybe it'll give us a new appreciation for the normalcies of life once we get it back. Yeah. Do you think, just one, and I don't want to stay on the COVID train. And then, you know, obviously we have a couple more minutes. We'll have a little bit more fun with some rapid fire questions. But do you think we did it right? Like right out of the gate? I mean, like, do you think we should have just unplugged the economy for two weeks, like everyone was saying, and and kind of did what Australia did? Now, look, at I didn't do a ton of research on how Australia did it, but what I heard from people was they just shut it right down, unplugged, flattened it, and then slowly rolling things out, and they really haven't had a spike since doing that. I'm not talking about Massachusetts. Do you think we as the U.S., could have done it better, um, or or did we play the the cards that we were dealt? I, I think it's really easy to look back and say what we should have done, but you know yeah. when when you're confronted with it and it's you know a novel virus and no one knows anything about it, and then you've got the media. It's like you can't you can't go anywhere without getting you know death and and danger pounded into your head. So everyone's super super cautious. So, but to your question is is. In retrospect, do I think they should have shut it down for two weeks? Yeah, maybe two weeks, maybe even three weeks, just shut it completely down and maybe it would have stopped it. But they sit, they, they sold us on, you know, 15 days to stop the spread, to flatten the curve and all this stuff. And right. turned out that, that, that wasn't really accurate. No one knows. I mean, it's, yeah. we can't, we can't criticize. We can just, you know, move forward and stay right. positive about it. Absolutely. All right, so look at Megan. Do you have any other questions for David, just real quick, that you want no, to add, or you want to go into, you want to share with him what we do next, and uh, see how quick this uh, uh, the serial entrepreneur can uh, think on his feet. This is um, this portion of the show that Matt kind of goes off the rails a little bit, but we're going to do a little fun, just kind of rapid fire questions that you could be about anything. But um, no, really, really. Uh, Enjoy the energy conversations and, and conversations in general so far. Now we'll just uh, we'll have a little fun. Okay. Absolutely. So so basically right now, David, we're just going to ask you questions that can either be answered in one word or a sentence. Okay. Um, let, let's just, you know, we'll warm you up a little bit and then we'll get into some good ones. We'll get that brain going. So uh, favorite Boston sports team? Bruins. Favorite sport, uh, uh, Boston athlete? Current or, or all time? Who was that? Current or all time? Oh, oh. oh. Let's, let's, let's do one A, one B. So uh, current. Uh, Patrice Bergeron and all time Tom Brady. Were you heartbroken when you went to Tampa? No, it's just business. I, I still like the guy. I still follow him. Um, too bad it didn't work out. You know. Yeah, no. Do you think? Do you think him and Belichick should have locked themselves in a room and tried figuring it out to end their careers together, or do you think that was, uh, or do you think it was time to move his talents? I mean, look at twenty years. People don't realize it's very uncommon for an athlete to drop anchor for twenty years in one town. But I'm am just curious about the uh, the hat, not to go off the rails, but we are. Well, what was it? Was it Belichick or was it the Crafts not wanting to pay him? Who knows? But I, I wish he could have ended his career here, but. It you know it, it, a lot of risk at that too you know he's um, gone on and and brought surrounded himself with players that he didn't have here and he's showing that he still got it I mean I wish he could have stayed here but that's the way it goes you know absolutely favorite late night snack 
Um, I, I have a tapeworm. Megan will tell you I, I, <laughs> I eat nonstop. Um, I, my favorite snack is probably a, a brownie at Starbucks. They have an unbelievable brownie. Wow. I, I wouldn't have. I would have lost money on that one. I would have maybe you know maybe like pretzels out of the cabinet or something. The brownie at Starbucks. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this: Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? I got to say Dunkin' Donuts uh, for you know for a lot of different reasons. Um, I have I uh, five. Very <laughs> probably, own, he probably owns ten. I know. <laughs> no, I, I uh, have very very close friends that have uh, about seven hundred stores, so I it's always Dunkin'. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, ice or hot? Um, ice. Yes, I'm sa- same here. I get in that fight all the time. I can do iced coffee twelve months a year. I don't right. need to. Burn, I don't need to burn my throat, and it doesn't make you a bigger man if you you know you're, you're sipping on a hundred and ten degree coffee and it goes right to the roof. Right. Uh, favorite favorite season? Um, probably spring. I like spring. Agreed. Favorite meal: breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Uh, I like dinner the best. I thought you said favorite meal. My favorite restaurant in the city of Boston is Ocean Prime. I, I'm a frequent yes. customer there, and I love going there. Yep, that was that was going to be my next one. Um, who would win in a fight, Santa Claus or Hanukkah Harry? Uh, Santa Claus has been around, around a long time. I wouldn't put it. Uh, Santa Claus would win. <laughs> he doesn't know how to cut weight. That's a lot of weight coming at you. The Cohen family double dip, uh, both Hanukkah and Christmas. Of course. Awesome. Do you guys do real, real or fake Christmas tree? Fake. White lights or colored? White lights. Fabulous. Oh, man. Um, do you like the beach or do you like the mountains? I like the beach, but I got to have shade. I have that, that fair skin. I get burned, but I'd, I'd much rather be on the beach. Do the Pats make the playoffs? I bet that they would, but I'm going to lose. They're not going to make it. What about this weekend, plus two and a half against the fin- – uh, who do they got, the Fins? I think yeah, I would, I would have to take the Dolphins. I'm the same way. I think yeah. I, I, I agree. And lastly, how do you define uh, success? Um. Actually, I, I define success if someone actually has a good quality of life. It's certainly uh, not all financial. It's um, it's basically, do you do what you love? Do you have a passion for what you're doing? Do you enjoy doing what you're doing? Do you look forward to going to work? Um, it's it's not all money. Success is basically, you know, do you do you enjoy what you do? Do you have a good quality of life? David, I, I got to tell you, 36 minutes, I feel like I, I did a tour at Harvard. I think I learned more than anyone, and no, no offense to the people from the Ivy League schools that go to Harvard, but I think in 36 minutes, I learned more um, about not only what you just said about success, but obviously, if you want to get into the entrepreneurial um, you know, arena, you know, that whole philosophy with invest in things that you cannot live without. I don't think the, I think professors could learn a lot about you, man, and you could design their syllabus and you could teach a lot of courses to make a lot of people successful. And um, Megan, great, great connection here, Megan. I mean, I probably would never have been able to pull David onto this podcast. And David, I, I can't thank you enough, man. You're and, welcome. Uh, this was really, this was unbelievable. I'm, I'm yeah. speaking with Megan for the first time. Yeah, that doesn't happen often. 
Thank you. You don't even have to go to Harvard for a hundred grand a year. All I got to tell you is invest in things you can't live without. I'll tell you right now, me, because I'm a meathead, I would open a bar. I'd open a pizza joint. I would open this. I would do everything opposite of what David said. And then when he <laughs> asked me, okay, how'd you lose all your money? He was like, yeah, because you didn't invest in anything you couldn't live without. Megan, you were right. Clean up aisle bedroom. My, yeah. my brain is everywhere right now. And, you know, Megan, that's, that's a true testament to you, kid. And, you know, as <laughs> is you, you, you do surround yourself with people that absolutely, you know, they're either rainmakers, they make a difference. You got an arsenal of connections, kid. And David Cohen is not on keeping it real without you. And that 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 was fucking nuts. I'm yeah, sorry. No, he's, I can swear now because I'll tell you right now. <laughs> thank God my room is dark because I think I, I'm a little pink in the cheeks. Because when you get a guest like that on, it, you got to bring your A game because that guy wakes up and his A game is in a, yeah. a different font than anyone could ever. And it goes to show you too. All these jackasses that forget where they came from, remember, we all put our pants on the same way. And that guy is very, very successful, and there's a reason why he's successful. He doesn't need 7,000 clients. Right. He, he, he wants the relationship first, and you get him, and that's a true testament. Now, look, at he may have some misses in his book that we don't know about, but I'll tell yeah. you right now, his bat percentage – is a lot higher than his lot than his yeah. than his loss rate. He's pretty humble though, so I think he would he would definitely even talk about the losses. Um, you know, and it's not all it's not all gravy. But one thing I was talking to him one day about an idea for our business or whatever, and he just looked straight at me. He said, "Never let money stop you." He goes, "That's not that is not what you know. If you have a good idea, you've got to get get good people in a business plan. Don't let the money stop you. That'll come." So did, you, did you know about the can't live without? Did you know about that? I didn't. I, I didn't know that one. Um, but I'm not surprised because literally every time I talk to him, I learn something more and he's, and he's very humble. He's so humble. Did that blow you away a little bit? Like that one, did that get the wheels spinning? Like, okay, if I'm going to invest money now, I'm going to look at it through that lens or are you going to go open up a, uh, you know, mega bucks, uh, tavern? No, I mean, I think there's, truth to it, right. There's, yeah. there's a lot of truth to it. And it's so, it's so simplistic that people overthink it and they overanalyze data, this, that, the other thing I can run models all day long, but listen to how simple that is. Just invest in something people can't live without. Like fact check, yeah. Dave, throw your camera on. I'm a pessimist by nature. Right. So I got, I got, I got to, I got to call him out for one thing. The amount of time that it took him to answer Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, I mean, that was a little sloppy, you know? Like, we're trying to be real on this podcast, and we're just going to praise him up and down. That's what you might want to work on. Look, I'll be honest with you. I was a little posh to call him out on the Starbucks brownie because, number one, if I'm going to do a brownie, I'm going to freaking Betty in the cabinet and throwing that in the oven, and I'm making my own brownie. I had, like, I was thinking, like, maybe he was going to say, you know, Vanilla ice cream from you know, you know Brigham. So whatever. I don't. Even when people know. have that specific of an of an answer, you know it's it's their go to. Like they boom. Like that was faster oh, than Starbucks. One thousand percent. He's waiting in line twenty minutes at a Starbucks with a barista <laughs> that's wearing a ski hat and fucking eighty five degree weather, and he's getting his brownie if he's jonesing for it. Yeah. You said yeah. if when you asked that question, if his answer was honeydew, I would have lost it. Like then, then <laughs> no, I would. I, 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 I would have here. 
I would have drove to his house right now and given him a, uh, something from Honeydew. Like I would have been like, okay, he's one of us. Yeah. And by the way, Dave, I, I think Honeydew, if you, there's a reason why they're still in business because they do have a good product, yeah. even though Dunkin' Donuts is is the you know the the donut shop on steroids that everyone equates it to. But Honeydew is is a very good little marketplace. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this: When was the last time you went to Honeydew? Uh, never. Wow. Where is Honeydew? Brockton? Cava Mass has one. Brockton has one. It there didn't make it to the South Shore. Oh, what's that? It didn't make its way to the South Shore. Where, where is Honeydew? You're acting like there's like one retail location of Honeydew. I mean, there might as well be. David, Google, Dave, Google right now Honeydew Weymouth? locations. I'm on, I'm on it. I'm on it. Maybe Weymouth. Is that the closest to me? I just don't. What is it? When you say they have the best product, is it their donuts or their coffee? So, look, I think their donuts get a bad rap because when okay. you think of donuts, you think of Dunkin' Donuts. Their sandwiches are much better than Dunkin' Donuts' sandwiches. Interesting. And what I love about Honeydew is when you're in the drive-thru, they have like a step three type process. They give you the they give you the sandwich, then you can choose the bread, and then you can choose the cheese. So there, it's almost like a build your own sandwich at Honeydew. Whereas you go to Dunk now, look at you're not going to Dunkin' Donuts for a ham and cheese on a multi grain, right? You, right, you, right? You're going in, you know. You make the bad I will say that Dunkin' Donuts just introduce crack to their menu with those infused little bagel bites with the cream oh, cheese. Right, yeah. I've heard about this. Yes. Put it this way. I don't even get one anymore. I go <laughs> for the two bags just right off the rip. And it's it, it, uh, the guy should win a Nobel Peace Prize that said, okay, we're going to take this syringe. We're going to throw yeah. it to the guts of the, to a bagel. And I'm, I'm thinking that they take the knot part of the bagel and then they use that into a bagel bite. They yep. inject it with the cream cheese. Megabucks, it is, it, it's a 4.8 out of 5. So they didn't make it up. Bantam Bagel does it. That's right. Someone told me about, yeah. you know, what is Bantam Bagel? Is that something out of the frozen food section? It is, but I think there's a bakery. I mean, they obviously have to come from a bakery somewhere. But I think it's New York. Like it's a New York style bagel. Again, now, the only thing I'm pissed about is that you can only get in everything or a plane. I think they need to know, okay, we got something here, so let's introduce, like, maybe a cinnamon raisin or or an cinnamon onion. Sugar. Or a, what is your go-to bagel, Megan? Are you guys going to let me do my job? I had a fact check. <laughs> I got 145 retail locations for Honeydew. I can't wow. keep That feels like it's probably mostly in the Northeast, right? I would assume. I don't, I don't know all the locations, but this is the big fact check. The Plainville franchise was the first donut shop with a drive-thru. The wow. first donut shop with a drive-thru. What so a Dunkin' Donuts copied Honeydew. Yes. Yes. Bingo. There See it is. Megan? Isn't that your answer right there to all these questions? They had more money, so they just threw money at you. That's the thing with these little guys. They probably couldn't make it. Yep. Well, they've made it. And well, I think uh, they made, made it at 114 locations. Well, 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 Mr. Cohen knows um, Dunkin' Donut guys that own 400 franchises. Did you hear that? Yeah. 400. Oh, and by the way, you need a million just to get into the franchise. So times that by 400. That's real. <laughs> yeah. I would love to just have. Oh, man. That was banana land. So, Megan, great episode with David Cohen. Um, like I said before, I felt like I just did a quick tour in a Harvard MBA class. Uh, kudos to you. What a way to end, you know, episode five of Keeping It Real. What a way to go into the Christmas break. 
so that way we can shuffle our cards and you know get our next 2021 guest line up uh, your thoughts on that episode yeah no david's a great guy as i mentioned we've we've been doing work together for a while but every time i i meet with him i learn and not just about energy i i, I learn something and there's always a good takeaway so he's honest very humble um and he's a great contact keep like always looks out for people around him and um you know he's he's been a uh, a big help to me in the, in the years past. So it was good to have him on. Yeah. And, 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 and Dave, fact check, Dave didn't even have to fire up the Google machine for any fact checks because I think we all learned a little something there. No problem. No problem. Sure. I, I can be dealing with the kids in a snowstorm and there's no issue. Just let him <laughs> talk, let him teach and no problems. Absolutely. Well, I want to wish you guys a Merry Christmas and I look forward to seeing where we take this podcast in 2021 with some new guests. And, and the good news is we'll, we'll be sliding down with the vaccines that are on the FedEx and the UPS truck. So hopefully we can, re- you know, it can be your choice to wear the mask when you're out and, and hopefully 2021 is going to be great. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to a nice 2021 wrapped up five episodes in 2020 and uh, looking forward to some good stuff in, in the next year. Absolutely kid. All right, guys, have yourself a great one and Merry Christmas.